from KIOS in Omaha and Exarbon Creative, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. On today's show, I have a conversation with filmmaker George Jutras about his hit documentary shot in the Nebraska sand hills, Ocean of Grass. You know, I mean, nothing gets blown up in this film, and, you know, there's no stars in it. You know, it's just a film about a ranch that, um, you know, shows kind of the way things used to be and, and can still be. So I think that's what they respond to. And, and you know, we have people that have gone to it geez, four or five times, you know, that just keep going back and see something different. And that's amazing. Jutris discusses going from photography to filmmaking, his passion that led to the existence of the documentary at all, and how he found a way to successfully distribute the film to audiences across the Midwest in 2019. Stick around for my conversation with George Jutris right here on Riverside Chats. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today we're playing a conversation I had in 2019 with documentarian and photographer George Jutras about his hit documentary, Ocean of Grass. Here's a clip from the trailer. Yeah, sometimes the winners are like war stories. You ride a half a day to get to what you're going to do, and you work two or three hours, and then you ride a half a day home. Mother Nature controls everything you do on a ranch, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, somebody went all in without any certainty whatever. And now here's my discussion with director George Jutris from 2019. Um, This movie's been crazy successful, it looks like. Um, You know, it has been. It's been quite a surprise. Um, you know, when I put it together, I really didn't know what to do with it. You know, so I finished it uh, after almost four years of work. Really didn't know what to do with it. I thought, is it, is it something that I'll play in a theater? Is it a, uh, you know, director video? Is it the internet? And we ended up getting into the Kansas City Film Festival, and uh, we sold out our slot there, which was amazing. I was happy anyone showed up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you never know. It's like, does anyone even know this thing exists? Is anyone going to, even if they know it exists, do they care enough to actually show up? Right, exactly. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I just didn't know, you know. And people showed up and sold out and had a Q&A afterwards, and that went on and on and on. I think after about, I don't know, a half hour or 35 minutes, they kicked us out because <laughs> they had another film to show. That's a good sign. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, so that was in uh, April, and then in June, we played in Broken Bow, which is about 40 miles from where the film is uh, was made. And uh, they have a threeplex there. And we were going to play just a Saturday-Sunday. And on Saturday, we sold out the big theater and half of the next theater, which was amazing. Was that just you were picking Broken Bow because people involved in the movie would have been able to see it that way? Right. And they, they had been after me to show the film as soon as they knew it was done. And I kind of wanted to get to the film festival first and get that done. And then, uh, then I contacted them, and they said, yeah, we'd love to show it. We'll do a little fundraiser for the uh, Custer County Foundation. So uh, anyway, we, yeah, we showed it on Saturday and had, uh, you know, sold out one theater and part of another. And then Sunday, they sold the entire building out. Wow. All three theaters had people down the block. It was crazy. What do you, what do you attribute that success to? I mean, because it's like when you make something, you have no idea how wide the interest will be, especially like a documentary I know because there's the personal connection, obviously there's more impulse, but with a documentary, you have no idea if anyone's going to, you know, really want to watch it that intently or even want to watch it in theaters. So right. what, do you, what do you make of the success? How does it, why is it connecting in such a strong way? Well, obviously it's, it's based in Sand Hills and, and everyone who's ever been in the Sand Hills kind of gets that, um, you know, uh, 
hook into it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and based on a ranch and a lot of people out in Broken Bow knew of the, the McGinn family, who who's the ranch I did the documentary on, uh, you know, because you basically go to Broken Bow to shop. I mean, it's 40 miles away if you want to go get groceries. <laughs> so that's what you do. And so that had a, that helped a lot. And, you know, the community was pushing the film. The theater did. Uh, to, you know, it was a fundraiser and they raised, I think it was almost $5,000 uh, for the community foundation with it. But yeah, it was crazy. So after we sold out the three uh, theaters on Sunday, they kept it for five weeks. Wow. And it yeah. kept, kept doing well? I kept mean, doing well. Yeah, we had, I don't know, seven or eight or nine sellouts there. I mean, it was... That's amazing. Yeah. And then from that uh, success, we started to get into other theaters. You know, I was contacting them and we got into the Ross and Lincoln and, and we basically sold out those two shows and we got into, you know, uh, you know, Kearney and, and uh, Grand Island and so on. And, and then after a while theater started calling me <laughs> that's which, amazing that's which, a great which, problem yeah, to have. which yeah. apparently that doesn't really happen very often so uh yeah and were you that's, worried uh, people in the city might not respond to it as well i really wasn't honestly i mean it's it's a film about a cattle ranch kind of a year in the life of a cattle ranch but you know it's really not about how to be a cattle rancher it's really about being a nebraskan being a good you know steward of the landscape and, and taking care of the animals that are in your care and it really does relate to whether you're a farmer or a rancher or someone who's just driven through the sand hills or someone who just kind of likes the wide open spaces and and likes to see people do things the right way. Um, it it uh, yeah, it really has touched a lot of people. And you know, when we've shown in bigger bigger towns, we still get a great response. Well, I think one of the things you're able to capture is it's not exclusive just to that line of work. It's sort of like, I think everybody who has some sort of passion or, I mean, ideally it's in their profession, whether it is or not, it's like everyone's job feels really hard to them. And it feels like there's all these tribulations you have to go through to make it work and you want to do it the right way. And I think the way you present it makes that really relatable for like anybody who feels like I am going to go out and do something that's maybe harder than what I could do with my life, but I care enough to figure out how to make it work. I mean, that message I think applies to pretty much everybody or everybody likes to think of themselves as doing something that hard anyway. Right. And you know, it really just shows that, you know, hard work basically trumps all, you know, uh, for lack of a better way to say it (laughs) in today's world. But you know, that's what people really respond to. Uh, you know, they know that this family cares about what they're doing. They, and uh, it shows and mm-hmm. whether you're like saying ranching or farming or none of the above you know you like to see people do things the right way and and the film is really i think a surprise for most people uh when you think documentary you think pretty straightforward you know here's what it is here's how you do it but this film is much more artistic in nature as well uh it it's emotional like, too yeah it, it it turns out to be very emotional i mean uh you know there's an opening scene in the film and I won't spoil it for people that haven't seen it, but uh, we've had multiple people tell us that when that opening scene starts, they start crying immediately. So, I mean, how you? When did you first start to get into movies? Well, about four years ago. Was that? <laughs> when, yeah. were, were you like a film buff before that? Yeah, you know, I, I was always involved in photography and visual. Um, I had a photography gallery down in the Burkholder Building in Lincoln. I sold uh, limited edition prints, nature and wildlife prints, did some books uh, of my own work. And I did that, you know, that was early 2000s till about 2007 maybe. And then I kind of woke up one day and thought, you know, I don't really need to do that anymore. I'm not really a retail-oriented guy anyway. So I kind of, you know, put up a going out of business sign and a week later everything was gone. So, you know, that worked out really well. And, you know, but I've also had an interest in doing uh, video and I did a book on the ranch back in 07 called Away of Life, 
which you know you still may find it out there in the world somewhere if you look hard enough and um always thought there was a bigger story to be told uh, one that a book you know with its kind of one-dimensional imagery can't really tell and and uh you know uh, and i had done some nonprofit work for some uh you know folks around lincoln and omaha so and i i took uh filmmaking in college oh so, okay so uh, the many, bug, many the bug had been ago. there yeah the bug had been there and it just kind of sat dormant for quite a few years <laughs> i won't say how long but long <laughs> enough and uh, then when i had the chance it was like boy here's everything i love to do i, I i'm kind of a technical guy and an artistic guy kind of a 50 50 so i ended up doing you know everything on the film except writing the music uh which you know we uh we uh, i hired tom larson who's a professor at the university and uh, he wrote a score for it um which was amazing i mean mm -hmm. it really yeah. helped uh tie it all together but everything else you know from the editing to the color grading to sound design to captions credits i did it all so i had to learn it which is for me that's, that's all the fun of it because you have the passion for it you're willing to f put in all this almost unreasonable amount of work to figure out how do i do this though how do i do it right and that's its own struggle well yeah you do it wrong first for a long time oh yeah and then yeah and then you know you, you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't and and uh, you know that's the learning process and and uh, yeah, and it was great fun. But yeah, you're right. A lot of hours, a lot of time. Uh, you know, I shot for two years. Well, I, I was going to ask that because, I mean, a documentary, it's tough to figure out how exactly it's going to be structured. You don't have the same sort of story blueprint a lot of the time. So, I mean, how, what was the process of discovering how to or what exactly the story was and how to tell it? Yeah, it's really, you know, it's going to sound a little new agey, I think, but it kind of told itself. You know, I went out and shot kind of the life cycle of a ranch with, with the visual way I look at things. And I did that for two years and ended up with about 120 hours worth of footage. Wow. And then when you start editing it, it, just kind of magically, the story kind of tells itself. Things fit where they should. You get the emotional reaction you want. And to me, it's kind of all subconscious. You don't even really think about it. But I mean, like, you don't know what's going to happen in that two years, right? No. So I mean, you're just trusting that I'll find enough here that it will be the kind of story I want to tell? Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not going to say that everything went great during the two years and I didn't wonder, you know, what the heck I was doing a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, there are a few times where I thought, wow, you know, am I ever really going to get this done? Because um, I had to keep upgrading equipment and, you know, putting some funds into that and you know, you just have to believe that things are going to work out. And uh, it turned out that it did, um, you know, and, and you just, yeah, I just kind of, kind of let the photography or video gods kind of tell me what to do <laughs> half the time and, and just kind of follow what needs to be done and, and uh, just get some compelling footage. And then the story kind of magically told itself during the editing. And so, I mean, is that just like when you're out there, you're just following what you have some response to and you just film that? And you hope that's going to fit into a bigger tapestry? Yeah. Um, really kind of the way it worked was, uh, you know, I was out there working at the ranch. Uh, you know, I know the people. You know, they know me. And, and I kind of became um, invisible as far as the uh, video work. And I'd be out there, you know, running cows or checking water. Or things I could do that, you know, even if I messed it up, it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> and uh, then when something happened that I wanted to document, I would go into cinematographer mode and uh, get out the equipment. And I mean, when you have a crew of one, you know, it's pretty easy to get going. And, and, uh, that's what I did. And, and, you know, everything in the film is as it happened, nothing was staged. We didn't do any of that. We just took it as it came each day and, uh, yeah, ended up with something that people seem to like.
the trust, I mean, to, to be confident enough that you'll find something is kind of impressive to me. Where do you attribute that? How did you know you'd figure it out? You'd figure out what you'd get what you needed to get ultimately, even if it took years. Yeah, you know, kind of my working life has been a lot of those type of things where you just got to kind of believe that it's all going to work out in the end just from hard work and effort and, you know, having a little bit of brain power behind it, you know, very little. But, uh, yeah, uh, prior to doing the video work, I was involved in uh, more technical. Um, we wrote computer uh, systems for radio stations. Oh, okay. And uh, I didn't know how to, I mean, I knew how to write code, but I knew nothing about radio. And this was out in Ogallala. We had a company out there. And we ended up, you know, coming up with a system that did extremely well. I mean, it became basically the the leading system in the industry. So you so you got uh, multiple experiences basically like you can jump into the water, you'll learn how to swim and then you you basically then you're like, "Yeah, okay, I can figure pretty much any of these things out within some reason." I'm sure you know of limitations to some extent, right. but it's like if I can if I have the technical expertise I need, it's like, "Yeah, I can probably get there. I can get where I need to get." Yeah, and even if I don't, uh, I found just hard work just grinding. Sure. I mean, there's no there you know, it's it's one of the little graphics at the beginning of the of the film, you know, there is no substitute for hard work. Right. Um, and that's really what it is. I mean, you know, a lot of times you don't know how to do things well, but just keep plugging away, keep grinding, no matter what it is in life. And it kind of all works out in the end. Is that what drew you to this particular story to tell? Well, uh, I knew the family and I knew the ranch and I knew how special that particular ranch is. Not to say all of them aren't great out there. I mean, they're great people out there, uh, well-grounded, uh, you know, and smart. I mean, really smart people out there. But you know, this particular ranch, because of the makeup of the people, uh, from Mike McGinn, who's one of the brothers that owns it, uh, Laren McGinn, who's his son, who's a world traveler. I mean, he's been all over the globe, a, a world-class artist, painter, and just a really, uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you can see he has huge amounts of compassion for the creatures that are on the ranch. And uh, Butch and Matt McGinn on the other side of the ranch. I mean, it's such a special place, and people that go there... Um, they just never want to leave. And in fact, the first time I got exposed to the ranch, uh, Laren had invited me out. I met him at the, at the Burkholder project and he said, Hey, come on out. If you need a place to stay, give us a call. And about a week later, I needed a place to stay. I was working on a book project and I called him up and said, Hey, you know, do you mind if I come over and spend the evening? And yeah, come on over. Well, I get there and there's people from all over the globe at that point at the at the ranch because they had Yale University had this outreach program where they'd bring in people from all over the world and part of their um, program was they could go out and, and you know sample Americana when they're not studying so I show up and the world fellows are out there I mean we're talking people from China and Russia and Brazil and you know name a country there's like two dozen people out there and it's like wow I was not expecting that <laughs> And uh, it's just a very welcoming place. And anyway, I was going to stay one night, and I stayed a week. And, I mean, seeing that, I'm sure you can tell, like, ooh, there's an audience that's responding to what's going on here, right? So you're thinking, like, people will perhaps pay attention to this in a way that maybe they wouldn't for... Like, like something about this ranch has already captured the attention of a lot of different types of people. Right, right. And, and, and to get back to your original question, uh, uh, you know, about, about the film... Um, you know, really what I'm trying to tell in the film is not really how to be a rancher. Um, in fact, I say um, I'm really uh, telling a, I'm not really telling a story, I'm telling a feeling. I'm trying to capture that feeling of this particular ranch and and how it is to be out there. And, you know, thanks to everyone who, you know, did the interviews and 
you know, the scenery and everything that, that I captured, I, I think it works really well. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with George Jutras, director of the hit documentary Ocean of Grass, which is available for purchase on oceanofgrassfilm.com. How do you know how to tell a feeling and capture it? Well, you yeah, trust yourself. Again. Yeah, you got to trust yourself in everything you do, but it's really the emotion of it. I, I try and capture a lot of emotion, um, and and you know that's what kind of gives it kind of its legs. And then you combine it with the beauty of the sand hills, which you know they, they don't hit everyone in the face when you walk when you get out there originally initially. But you know the more time you spend out there, uh, the more you kind of get it. Mm-hmm. You know it's kind of stark beauty. And, uh, you know, great sunsets and no people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it uh, just all kind of works together. And it's, it's kind of very grounding and very calming. I've, well, I, I like that. Uh, I mean, I was drawn immediately just for the title of the project. So Ocean of Grass, because I don't know what it is. Maybe a lot of people, when we're landlocked, we just have to think everything's kind of like we have to find an ocean somewhere, whether we have one or not. Uh, I'm curious, what do you make of that? Why, what is it about us pushing, putting an ocean over something that's not an ocean? Why do we frame it that way? Why do we look at it that way? Well, yeah, visually, um, it, 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 some of the scenes I took with, with a drone, it looks like waves coming in. The hills mm. look like waves. The grass blowing looks like waves, uh, like waves breaking, you know, on the shore. And, you know, X million of years ago, it used to be an inland ocean uh, in, in the sand hills. So, you know, there's actually some fact behind the title. Um, so, yeah, it visually kind of plays into that. But, you know, it is kind of interesting about the title. Uh, people ask when I do a Q&A, you know, how long did it take for you to come up with a title? And it took a long time. <laughs> you know, you'd think it'd be easy. Uh, we we tried some titles that, you know, we'd be driving around in the pickup, like me and Laren, and, you know, we'd go, hey, hey, okay, Cowmen, that's the title. And we'd go, yeah, yeah, that's it. And then we'd drive around, and about a half hour, we'd look at each other going, no, that's not it. <laughs> and we came up with all these really bad titles. And uh, uh, Father Jim Hunt, actually, uh, he was one of the people we interviewed out there. Uh, he's the one that kind of talked about the ocean of grass, and when we heard that, it's like, that's it. What was it that you couldn't capture with the book and with photographs that you felt a movie was going to be able to capture better? Really, it's the emotion. Uh, you know, you can take some shots that have some emotion, but it's really difficult to get emotion in a, you know, a flat image. Uh, with, the, with the video, you can really get it from the people and how they talk about, you know, hardships they run into or family or how they take care of a cow or or a calf. Um, so you get that emotion and that just really is, is kind of the, the base that what the film kind of rides on is the emotion of the people and, and how they look at the world. And, and that's the other thing you get to see who these people are. You get to hear them in their own voice because there's no narration in the film, mm-hmm. um, other than the ranchers. You know, we were going to have a narr- narrator originally kind of over the top and we did, Oh, I don't know, 17 or 18 interviews with people. And when, when the film started to come together, it's like we don't need a narrator. They're telling their story in their words. Um, and it just, I thought it was just magical the way it all fit together. It all dovetailed with everyone's comments. Were you drawn to drawing out emotion in this way with your photography? Yeah, I, I, I try. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, photography is a different beast because you're taking so many shots and you're throwing out most of them. Well, I mean, film's kind of like that. I mean, well, yeah, but you know, photography. I mean, geez, you know, I just throw out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of slides, <laughs> you know, and and to get one good one uh, that you know kind of grabs what you're trying to, what you were feeling at the time you took the picture. That's kind of to me the, you know, what makes a good photograph. You can actually feel the photographer's emotion when he took it, and you know, those are few and far between. Um, 
but with the video, you have much more of an opportunity to, to capture that. And is it just, I mean, you have more elements working and so you can get to that feeling, that emotion faster. Is that part of it? Or? Well, yeah. And you're hearing, you hear the emotion in people's voices. Sure. Uh, you know, there, uh, John Seeley, he was one of the ranchers, you know, he went through a bout of cancer and you, you can hear it in his voice when he's talking about how great the people in the area were, how they came and helped on his ranch. You know, people would show up with gas cards or whatever and just give it to them. And, you know, uh, you know, the phone was just constantly ringing with people that would come and help him while he was going through this, you know, multi-month process of, of dealing with cancer. And, you know, you can hear that gratitude and that emotion in, in his voice. So that, that's what the video really does that, that, you know, a flat image is unable to do. Well, I mean, so I agree. And I mean, as you're making it, are you aware of what feeling you're trying to capture? Like, can you put that in words? Do you know what it is or is it just something that hits you? Well, it's really what I tried to show is what I knew, which is how I kind of got to know the ranch and kind of the contentment you feel when you're out there. Because uh, it is a feeling of contentment. You know, you're, you're doing hard work, which there's nothing wrong with that physical work, uh, which is great. You feel good at the end of the day by doing that. Uh, but it's trying to get everything that you're exposed to out there, you know, into, into the shots. You know, the wind blowing, the smell of the grasses and the flowers, the smell of the cows, um, you know, the sky changing all the time, um, you know, the starry sky. Uh, you know, that's what you're trying to capture and, and, and try to bring to people. So when they watch the film, they, they kind of get it. They go, I understand this ranch, these people. I see what it's all about, and I like what I see. <laughs> We've had an incredible response. I mean, we, we showed in North Platte, and uh, at the end of the show, someone wrote me a letter and said, you know, we got to the end of the show, and the crowd was dead silent for, you know, three or four beats, and then they all just broke out in spontaneous applause and, you know, you see that they said it was amazing. They've never seen anything like it. Is that silence? I mean, they're so drawn into it. It takes them a minute to sort of like register and go, you know, come back to themselves and deal with some of those emotions I, they're feeling. I think so because a lot of people, by the time they get to the end, I mean, there are a lot of tears that uh, you know people will shed. Um, you know, uh, you know, everyone's different in how they react, but yeah, there's a lot of emotion. And by the time you get to the end, you've kind of been shown the entire story of. Uh, ranching in this particular ranch and, and the feel of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the feeling is one that, you know, people like to reflect on. Uh, nothing wrong with having a, a movie that people feel good about. When no, it's no, done. no. <laughs> well, I would guess a lot of the people who go to see this, especially if they're seeing it because there's some direct connection to their lives. I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to generalize, but I would guess a lot of ranchers probably don't go see, go see a ton of documentaries that draw them in emotionally. Right. So, I mean, were you conscious of that even as you're making it? Not at all. No? I, I had okay. no idea who my audience was. <laughs> I, I was just telling the story. And, you know, I'd send off to film festivals or talk to, you know, distributors, and they'd say, well, who's your market? And I'd go, I have no idea who my market is. You know, I think it's this, but I don't really know. And what did you think it was? If you had I thought guess? it was more of a family-oriented. Okay. Um, it ended up being it skews to an older crowd. Um, generally, you know, people that remember back when. Um, so, you know, ranchers and farmers and people that have any relative who's worked on a ranch or a farm or in agriculture uh, tends to be the core group. But, you know, we get kids, you know, we get young kids, we get, you know, all the way up to, to grandpas. Uh, so, yeah, but it, it tends to skew to an older crowd, which I think was a little bit of a surprise to me, but in retrospect, maybe not, because that's really who it talks to. Is that um, in part just because they have more of a direct connection to the ranching lifestyle because I mean, it's like you don't get a whole lot of exposure to that now. I don't think. Right. 
You know, I think that is part of it, especially in, you know, the Midwest. But I think a lot of it is, you know, people in that era who are, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 and older, you know, they really kind of remember when life was simpler. And there aren't a lot of movies out that, you know, talk about that and show that, you know, I mean, nothing gets blown up in this film. And, (laughs) you know, there's no stars in it. You know, it's just a film about a ranch that, um, you know, shows kind of the way things used to be and, and can still be so i think that's what they respond to and and you know we have people that have gone to it geez four or five times you know that just keep going back and see something different and that's amazing i'm talking with filmmaker george jutris about his hit documentary ocean of grass we'll continue the conversation after the break right here on riverside chats wherever or however you're listening to this podcast right now you should take a moment and check out stitcher for those who don't know, Stitcher is a free podcast app for iPhone and Android and home to over 260,000 podcasts. Stitcher also has smart recommendations, playlists, a car mode, even a sleep timer. While the Stitcher app is free to use, they also offer a premium subscription called Stitcher Premium that has exclusive bonus episodes from top shows, exclusive shows from top hosts, and ad-free listening all for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Like pop culture, you can listen to exclusive bonus episodes from Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness or LeVar Burton Reads, plus get early access to episodes of The Dream, plus many more on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and use promo code Riverside on the monthly plan to get your first month free. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm talking today with George Jutras, documentarian behind the hit documentary Ocean of Grass, which was shot in the Nebraska Sandhills. You focus so much on the compassion that they have for the animals in this movie, and it's not some like horrible, it's not the jungle or anything, you know. Uh, but is you think there's hesitation from young, especially urban people, to go to a movie like this and sort of have that experience of learning about what it's like, what the relationship is between the ranchers and their animals. Yeah. Cause I don't think they have any reference point. Right. Um, in today's world, you know, a lot of people don't know where their meat comes from. They don't know where dairy comes from. They don't, they don't know it just so you go to the grocery store. That's where it comes from. Right. Yeah. You know, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, uh, compete with, you know, multi-million dollar advertising budgets, you know, sure. the latest Marvel film and, all that stuff that, you know, is a spectacle. This film is not a spectacle. It's a it's a good, solid uh, film, more in the vein of how they used to make them back in the Cary Grant days and Audrey Hepburn days and that type of thing. Uh, you know, it, it's a slower film, um, quieter film, I guess I should say, rather than slower. I mean, so that's an interesting uh, reference point, though. I mean, were you looking more at, like, old Hollywood classics as you're trying to figure out how to tell this story? Uh, well, I love the old film. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of my thing. Uh, you know, nothing I like better than sitting down with an old film, uh, you know, when dialogue was king and, and uh, you know, they were just well-crafted. Um, and you didn't have to look for, you know, holes in the plot because they kind of took care of all that. Uh, a little bit different in today's world generally. But, um, yeah, it was certainly a uh, uh, something that I kind of fell back on. But, you know, honestly, when I was making it, it kind of made itself. You know, people ask me, why did I make that cut? Or, you know, they talk technically about editing, and I have no idea. It just <laughs> happened. Uh, you kind of get in the zone, and the story is, is unfolding right before you. And a lot of times I have no conscious memory of doing it. Uh, you know, after end of a long day, I've put together another three or four minutes worth of work, and it's like, wow, you know, I'm happy with that, and I don't really know how I got there. <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit magical. Did you have any documentary reference points where you're like, that's the kind of documentary I'm going for, something along those lines? 
Well, as it turned out, not really documentary. Um, I watch a lot of documentaries because I just like that that genre, and uh, I th- I think you know a lot of them are different than what I've done. Um, you know, a lot of them tend to be missing that emotional and artistic angle. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's a, kind of a, a keystone of mine. Um, but you know, as I was making mine, uh, the film Nebraska came out. And I was going to ask about this because I thought the music reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, and, and I, I can't remember the timing exactly, but I think I was well into the editing. In fact, I probably had the, the first rough cut done when, when I saw that film, and I'm like, well, there you go. That, that's kind of, a, kind of a perfect example of the pacing mm-hmm. that ended up in mine. I wasn't trying to mimic it. It just kind of like, well, okay. That's, I think everybody who making anything in Nebraska has some sort of Alexander Payne touchstone yeah. to some extent. Yeah, and, and, you know, it just turned out to be, you know, the, the pacing of this is very uh, consistent. Um, everything was kind of given the same weight in the film, whether it was good, bad, you know, sad or happy or whatever, you know, because that's the way people look at things out there. That's got to be very counterintuitive as a way to put together a movie, though, right? I mean, like, movies... Most people making a traditional sort of movie, it's all emphasize this, emphasize that, maybe overemphasize these things. Right. Yeah, and here again, that the movie kind of made itself, um, and that's kind of the way it worked out. I'm sure, you know, subconsciously and consciously, I had those thoughts, um, and I will say I had people in the industry say, no, we need more conflict, we need more of this or that, and I'm like, that's not the story. You know, it's a story about the feeling of a ranch, not, you know, not artificial, you know, conflict or you know overdone emotions or or whatever it's it's really just a story of how it is out there on a day-to-day basis but um you know it turns out to be a compelling you know a compelling piece for a lot of people and so you said industry people were saying this to yeah, you so yeah. what's oh, that yeah. what's that process like of the industry getting involved um or not frustrating <laughs> yeah <laughs> You well, know, did you reach out to them as you were making it, or was this after it was already uh, done? Kind of, kind of in the middle of the editing, okay. uh, onward. And uh, you know, I had some people say, "Well, we like this, but we need more of that." You know, we we need more, you know, of the of the well. For instance, you know, we need more of the cancer angle with, you know, John in the film. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it is. You know, I'm not. I, I don't want to put anything artificial. I don't want to puff up something uh, that isn't what it really was. And, you know, a lot of that you just kind of say, you know, listen, I, you know, I financed the film. I'm doing everything on it. It's kind of my baby. And, yeah, I'll take, you know, I like critique and, and ideas and so forth to make it better. But, you know, to tell me to do something, you know, artificial um, that didn't really follow the story, I think people would have, would have figured it out real quick when they're watching it. It, right. wouldn't, it mean, wouldn't have felt right. If when people watch it now, the thing they take away or the way they describe it is authentic, you, you right. don't have a whole lot of wiggle room for, right. with yeah. authenticity. Right, either are you aren't. Yeah. And it, all it takes is one, you know, you're, the old saying, you're, you're only as good as your weakest link, applies to business and, and everything else, you know. And if, if there was a non-authentic moment in it, it would stand out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we artificially said, well, you know, here's the big cancer scare or here's, you know, a calf that's dying or whatever the case may be. But, you know, if you go through it with thinking everything kind of has its own same weight as everything else, you know, whether it's, you know, a a person with cancer or a calf dying or, you know, trying to get cows to market or a blizzard, you know, it's all treated kind of the same way. And and, uh, that's that's real life out there. And were you editing by yourself or did you have other? Okay, no, I mean, I I did everything. Um, I didn't really want any other help on it because I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not worried that once again, you trust yourself to figure it out. I know a lot of people say I need to have an editor because I'll mess it up on my own because I'm too close to it. 
you you thought though like you'll be able to figure out you know what's best for it yeah and I, I knew the story I wanted to tell the feeling you hear again it goes back sure. to telling the feeling of the ranch I knew that intimately from you know I, I've been out there now 16 years so I kind of know the place <laughs> well um, and then in this particular project I assume editing is its own new draft of the script or not really script at that point but a draft of the whole story you want to tell because you kind of have to find it all in the edit on a project like this right thing Right. And, and yeah, that's the thing about, you know, documentary filmmaking is, you know, you're just basically throwing a thousand things against a wall and then seeing how they kind of fall into place when you do the editing, because you really don't know, you know, what the story is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it just kind of works here again, magically, I guess is the only <laughs> way I can really describe it. I, I don't really have a better word for it other than, you know, you're looking to tell a compelling, complete story with, you know, with, you know, all the, the emotions you can get into it. And, you know, things just kind of fall into place. Did it worry you uh, in refusing to make certain artificial changes in terms of, like, the long-term success of the project? Not at all. Um, you know, it, it would have been nice to be able to get some early, uh, you know, success, get on TV or whatever the case may have been that I was talking to people about. But, you know, you, know, you have to believe in yourself. And, you know, it doesn't just apply to making a film or editing or aspects of it. It applies to everything in life. I mean, when it comes right down to it, if you don't believe in yourself, you're going to have a hard time having success. And, yeah, you want to take input from other folks and uh, use it to make it better, whatever it is you happen to be working on, whether it's writing code or or making a film. Uh, But when, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be happy with what you did. Um, And I was not going to sell my soul to, you know, get a little bit more you know, a little, a little bit more people looking at it. That wasn't important to me. Um, telling the story and the story that will, you know, literally be out there forever, you know, with the internet, you know, once it hits that venue, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a legacy project for the ranch. It's a legacy project for me. Everything you do in life is really a legacy project. If you think about it. So you might as well do it the best way you can and be happy with it. And are you happy with it? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I go back and I think about how it all came together uh, with all the interviews and the visuals and, and so forth. And, you know, there's, there's really nothing I could take out of the, uh, the finished edit. There's really nothing I want to put in. That's a great feeling. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I've never, I've never reached that point. I don't think <laughs> with anything I've made <laughs> one day, maybe. Um, well, okay. So, I mean, you have to be happy as well because it's like, Maybe people wanted there to be something artificial, but I think you've sort of shown them that that's the wrong impulse just with the amount of success you've had so far. Right. And so, I mean, at this point, is it a self-distribution plan? It is. Yeah. And this is another thing I'm learning. Uh, You know, I've never done it before and I'm not really much of a salesman. You know, I just kind of wanted to make art and... You've sold it like crazy, though. I mean, it's yeah. doing really well. well. When you believe in it, it's kind of easy, yeah. I guess. And, um, you know, doing all the Q&As we've done, you know, I'm not a guy who likes to get up and talk in front of people, <laughs> but now I actually really enjoy it because, you know, I totally believe in it. Crowds get it. Uh, they're very complimentary. Um, you know, we've had some just exceptional Q&A sessions after the film that, you know, as a filmmaker, just really warm your heart that people got it. Uh, so, yeah, we're just, you know, going out there and trying to push it out there. And, you know, we've shown it in gosh, all over Nebraska. We've shown it now and uh, we've got into Colorado and Wyoming and uh, Kansas we're going to be in and Iowa. So we're gradually starting to widen that distribution. You know, my hope is that someone out there in the world who has more inroads into distribution and, you know, a buyer or whoever it may be, and these are all aspects I'm still learning about, you know, will see it and get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a film you got to get. And if you can get behind it, I mean, really the sky is the limit. Um, because it will play 
it'll play everywhere. I mean, I've shown it to people all over the country. Um, uh, you know, like you've seen it, you know, with a, you know, online and, and, uh, boy, you know, they get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's going to play anywhere. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with George Jutris about his hit film, Ocean of Grass. You can find Ocean of Grass on oceanofgrassfilm.com. We spoke in 2019. Here's the rest of the conversation. Is I mean, do you think that you've sort of tapped into this some, this thing that probably distributors don't even know that there's a need for something that appeals to ranchers or people who have some uh, connection to that community? I mean, because they don't really make projects targeted at that audience, do they? Not really. Um, you know, there have been a couple documentaries that have come out that are kind of rancher or farmer-based, um, and they've done really well commercially. Uh, you know, they've gotten on Netflix and, and so forth. Um, you know, they got backed by, you know, one of these distributor companies, you know, Sweetwater or whoever it may be. And, um, you know, with mine, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's a different beast. Um, it's not when you're going to sit there and watch eight or ten minutes and get it. And the story gets bigger and bigger and you get drawn into it and become part of that world as you go through the film. So, you know, it's a little bit harder sell from that standpoint, um, you know, because everything is all about, I only got ten minutes tell me what it's about. Okay, I get it. I can now sell it. It's different. So uh, it really is based all on word of mouth right now. I mean, the word of mouth is exceptional. Uh, it's my biggest advertising. And it's, <laughs> and it's free. Yeah, it is free. And, and you know, we've shown it now to, I think we're well over 13,000 people we've shown it to. So uh, yeah, we're just going to keep pushing it out there and <laughs> keep seeing if it finds an audience. And I know it would find an audience overseas because um, they're crazy about Americana um, over there, much more than even we are. Anything that's cowboy, Old West related, um, they love. Uh, as a result of this film, I've actually worked on uh, three others, and one of them was a documentary um, called Women of the Mother Road, which is about women's development of Route 66, all from the women's perspective. And I got hired to be a cinematographer on that, and you know, we met people on Route 66 from Switzerland and Britain and France and you know all over Europe and they just you know love that stuff why what, what where's that where's that come from you know they you know they kind of remember the old America and they just like the old west they just always have because they never really had that the, it, just the frontier idea yeah frontier it's, it's totally unique really to our country you know because you know France didn't really have that you know Britain doesn't really have that no one had the American west over in Europe like that, you know, you got to go to South America or someplace like that to kind of have that as a kind of a traditional uh, way of life. So, you know, they just love that aspect of it. And I would talk to people about my film that we met on Route 66 and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we want to, we want to see that. They're giving me their names and cards and everything. How can I see it? So I'm pretty sure if we can get it over there. We can, we can probably do pretty good. And so, I mean, are, are you optimistic ultimately about that lifestyle and uh, that it will continue to appeal or even exist in its in whatever form it needs to to survive? Well, yeah um, and no. Okay. Uh, you know, like everything in agriculture, it's kind of a world where family operations are being squeezed out depending on the, um, the state uh, laws, you know, whether they can have corporate ranching, corporate farming and so forth. Uh, but yeah, you know, even in ranching in Nebraska, ranches get bigger, uh, the equipment gets better, uh, so you can run, you know, a hundred thousand acre ranch with very few people. Uh, whereas, you know, fifty years ago, you had to have lots and lots of people. So that's why the population out in the Sand Hills is, is just going, you know, mm-hmm. going away, uh, and the ranches get bigger. So yeah, you know, some people will be able to keep it going. This ranch has been going for one hundred thirty years. Well, and there's kind of that part there where they're cynical about the 
affordability of getting into this business now? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's land cost is what it is. And, and as Mike McGinn, who's the uh, kind of the patriarch of, of the ranch out there, the oldest member of the ranch anyway, um, says, you know, I mean, uh, everything that we use to ranch has gotten more expensive. What we get paid for cows hasn't really moved at all in decades. Um, so, yeah, you know, you kind of get squeezed out. you got to be more efficient. And uh, it's it's hard to, you know, the land cost is the biggest cost of it. Yeah, you know, Sand Hills ground runs, you know, $1,000 an acre, give or take, at any one point. And, you know, depending on how productive it is, you know, uh, out, out where we are, uh, where the ranch is, you know, it, it takes about 20 acres roughly to run one cow-calf pair. What is that? Is that just gives them land to walk around? Kind gives of, them grass. Yeah, gives them food. Yeah, eat. Okay. Yeah, and, and so you got to have that. So, um, you know, so you got, you know, $20,000 roughly in, in land cost to support one cow and as many calves as it can produce so you know it's hard to produce enough calf babies that you can you know sell to market or or whatever um to uh to cover that note uh, especially when you look at everything that has to go with it you know pickup trucks and you know grain feeders and and hay balers and you know all this equipment uh, that is very expensive anymore yeah it just takes a lot to keep it going so did you get attached to any of the cows while you made this movie yeah um, there, yeah, there's like, uh, I think it was 795. It's been, you know, it's been one iteration of 795 a couple of different times, you know, because they give the calves the same number and, you know, the, certain cows just have a way about them. They're actually, you know, I don't want to say they're friendly because they're still a, a 1200 pound wild animal, but you know, they'll feed out of your hand and let you rub, rub their head. And, you know, and they're always around, you know, whenever you go feed they're 795 and, you know, prior to her her mom was 795 and so that kind of happens but um you know like Laren McGinn who's the you know the the rancher out there um he gets attached to animals because you know you bottle feed a lot of them when you know if needed and and uh, he's a compassionate guy and yeah it's hard for him to you know think about the ultimate you know end of of being a cow Mm -hmm. but you know the one thing we can say out there is while the cows are out on these properties they're happy you see a lot of happy cows and they're treated they're treated well so whether you like ranching or don't like ranching or or whatever um you know that's the one thing people ask me have i had any trouble from PETA or one of those organizations you know about the cruelty of ranching and no i haven't because if they watch the film they understand these animals are treated really good it's not a stockyard operation sure yeah Uh, it's wide open pastures with real grass and real air and wind and sky and and you really emphasize the nurturing element of so many of the animals there. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's their livelihood. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really part of their family, and if the cows go away, they have no livelihood. So there's that aspect of it. And, you know, these are people that care about the creatures. Uh, they really do. They care about the land. Um, and, you know, it goes back, you know, 130 years or more. So, you know, it's kind of ingrained in everyone uh, when you're out there. And, and that's one of the aspects when you're out at a ranch for a long time, you really do pick up kind of the environmental angle of it, which is not because people just are environmentalists. It's just they want to take care of their land so it can support, uh, you know, their livelihood and their family. And they love the lifestyle. Everyone's kind of their own boss out there, which which kind of means, you know, everyone can not have to, they don't have to conform to a corporate society <laughs> so they'll tell you what they think <laughs> well i mean did i guess uh i was curious just working with so many cows which i'm sure you did to make this movie i mean does 
does it impact you at all in terms of like eating meat just because you had so many relationships or are you able to square like because they had a good life they were treated humanely it's ultimately not something i need to worry so much about the fact that i'm eating them yeah 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 that's really it i mean you know you kind of divorce yourself a little bit when you're filming because you're behind the lens Mm -hmm. um and you know if if these animals weren't treated well well, i wouldn't have made the documentary i'll be honest with you um you know no one wants to show that Mm -hmm. um but all the ranches out there that i know of and i I know of a lot of them out there uh, they treat the animals well so you know given the given that it is an industry it's a business um you know it's you know at least you want the animals happy while they're on your property and sure you know some of them are only there for a few months and others you know some of the, the, the cows who are producing calves could be there for, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, you know, so they get a good long time of, of being happy and getting good food and, and uh, being treated well. Yeah, and I've seen some people argue that it'd be better for, especially people in cities, to have more exposure to that. Because then you would appreciate the meat. Like if you were to eat meat, then you appreciate where it comes from in a way than just like buying something at the store doesn't. So it's like to have that relationship gives you some... Uh, some understanding of sort of like if you really value life and it's like, you know, the sacrifice maybe these animals give for you to eat is something that means a little bit more if you actually have some exposure to them when they're animals. Right. And, and it, it's always good for people to kind of understand where their food comes from mm-hmm. um, and, and what people have to do to bring it to them, you know, instead of just taking it for granted. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, numerous people have said, we got to get this in the cities. We got to show kids how it actually works to give them that that viewpoint because no one gets it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless you're raised on a ranch, you, you just don't ever get it. You right. Know, like you go to the zoo, but that doesn't really teach you that lesson. Yeah. And you've got all the electronic gadgets, you know, kids play with now again. And, and, you know, it's totally different than when even I was a kid. Um, but yeah, they just do not get exposed to it. So they have no point of reference. So it, it, it becomes easier to either talk bad about it or negatively because they don't understand it. And, uh, you know, the ranchers who have been featured in the film, you know, to a person they've told me and people that have watched the film who are involved in ranching or farming have told me that the thing they like the most is that I've shown what it's really like, uh, uh, you know, to kind of offset some of the negative stereotypes about, uh, you know, the cattle industry. Um, so like which, know, which negative stereotypes would those well, be? Well, everyone thinks of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stockyards, you know, yeah. uh, which is a totally different operation than what they're doing out in the sand hills. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, and, and yeah, they're, it's not, not my favorite thing. Um, and the animals aren't treated as well as they need to. They're being fattened up for market. So it's a different part of the, the process of getting food to the market. Um, so, yeah, you know, showing that here's actually, you know, the way it used to be when it was all, you know, back in the early days of ranching and, and the way it still is in a lot of these ranches, you know, the, the animals have, you, you know, you, you hear like, you know, chickens, you know, okay, they're free range chickens, which means they get out of their big, you know, metal building to walk outside occasionally. Well, you know, all these cows are free range cows, really. Um, You know, if you want to use that, that terminology of today, but it just kind of shows that, uh, you know, it, it's as good for them as it's going to get when they're on these ranches and and they're treated with uh, compassion and respect. And is that one of the main differences between like a corporate uh, farming of animals versus, I mean, it's something that's home run or home, uh, run by a family yeah I, I think so i mean i don't have any firsthand knowledge of you know the corporate ranching you know the the fattening process you know that that people go through other than you know you drive by them and you see them mm-hmm. um you know i, I haven't uh, so i can't really talk about that sure. you know here again people are going to take as, as good of care of the animals as they can it's their livelihood and 
you know, you hope everyone has kind of their, their interest at heart, but you know, I guess I can't say that for sure. I just, you know, the reason why it comes up is just, I thought your movie seemed to focus so much on, uh, the animals being treated with respect and there's that compassion you show even just with the camera, let alone what you're showing being done to them. And that, it seems like that's something you value. Yeah. A cause, lot. Cause that's the way it is. Right. Um, and, and honestly, because you know, the people at the ranch have said, Hey, if you want to come out and see how we do it, you're welcome to do it. Come out for a day or a week or a month and you can just ride around with us and you can see how we deal with these animals. I mean, it's not like I cut out all the bad things. There really aren't. I mean, you get to see what, you know, how it works day in and day out. And uh, no one has any problem with, you know, having people look over their shoulder and see how they do it because they'll come away going, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was true. It is authentic. And, you know, you do see happy cows. I mean, running down the hill when the truck goes by, you know, you know, dang near you can almost see a smile on their face. I mean, you know, it's. (laughs) It's just really a, a great feeling when when you see an animal in whatever you know, you know, place you may be uh, that actually shows happiness in one form or another. And that, uh, that I think that adds to the feeling you're trying to capture in general, right? That happiness of animals is a big part of it. Yeah, it's it's focus number one mm-hmm. uh, when you're a rancher. Right. Um, you've got to keep them happy and healthy and and uh, you know and productive. Um, an animal that's sick is a liability. Um, and it doesn't feel good as a as a human when you're in control. I mean, you are the the top predator, <laughs> you know, uh, when you look at that type of environment. So yeah, it, that's it, a conflict I don't think I've seen really depicted. Uh, the need to make sure that they are happy as a rancher. Yeah, uh, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, I I mean, you know, no matter what you're in, I mean, you know, if you're a, a you know a, a farmer and you're growing soybeans, well, if your soybeans don't look good it's going to affect your bottom line. Sure. That makes you know, sense. It, everything you want to make it to the best of its ability. And, and, uh, you know, with a living creature, um, you know, you certainly want to keep them in a good frame of mind and, and, uh, you know, and keep eating. <laughs> you know. So, uh, where should people go to find whatever the next screening is, whatever the next stages are for the movie? Yeah. Uh, best place would be, uh, the, the website at ocean of grass film. Dot com and on there you'll find a lot more information about the film the people um, and so forth and you'll see um, the current schedule and it's kind of always changing uh, so that's where you can kind of see where it's going to be you can see where it's been there's a link for that uh, there's gosh I don't know 75 or 80 comments from real viewers that can scroll across the screen so you can get a feel of what people really are responding to and uh, yeah that'd be the best place to go and uh, do you know what you're working on next uh, right now I'm working on the film. I'm still just, riding the waves. Yeah, still yeah. trying to get it out there, pushing it out. I mean, I'm the distributor out there, so if there are any distributors out there, <laughs> give me a call because I'd like to get on my next next project, you know. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You can purchase Ocean of Grass on Blu-ray and DVD at oceanofgrassfilm.com. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarbon Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. As always, you can find our whole backlog of episodes wherever you get podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. Next week, we'll be playing a conversation I had with playwright Bofield Berry. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.